I'll be, I'll be reading a, a good portion of scripture, so I'll just be standing here. And uh, I'm hoping I won't run out of time before, I mean, I won't run out of time before I run out of scripture. Uh, and so if it looks like it's, I'm, I am running over, if some of you just want to slip out, I, I probably won't take notice of it. I'll be busy reading, okay? So it won't, won't bother me. I won't take offense at it. But anyway, I think about the different styles of preaching, and I think about myself. And uh, when I think about our pastor who is a scholar, a very learned a man, when he, when he preaches, he uses a very fine brush, right? And he paints a very fine stroke, and he, he's a very much of a detail man, right? Well, see, I'm a greasy mechanic. I, I, don't, I don't apologize for that. I, I raised my family and took care of them. So when I preach, I, I use a broad brush, you know, like this. So I make long strokes and so forth. But tonight I have a lot of scripture to cover, so I put away my broad brush and I bought my roller tonight, so... <laughs> Because I'm going to be rolling on, you know what I'm saying? And so we cover a lot of scripture with, with a little explanation. And I, I hope it will be meaningful to you. And then I hope I'll be able to get down to the end and, and I can close it in the way that I feel like the Lord laid it on my heart. Uh, and you, you may go out just laughing a little bit or thinking a little bit. And uh, it won't be all that heavy. But what we're going to read here is some heavy stuff. I'm going to read a good amount out of the prophet Isaiah, okay? Isaiah had a difficult task, and that was to be the Lord's prophet in a very difficult time in the history of Israel and of Judah. And um, so in the first five chapters of Isaiah, he sort of lays out for us what the situation was in Israel and Judah at that time. Their, their situation sort of reminds me of what it's like in the United States of America today. We're, we're in a mel of a hess, you know what I'm saying? You understand that? I mean, we really are. We, we look and say to ourselves sometimes, that we're going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, this is terrible. Well, that's, these first five chapters of Isaiah really lays out this, the pitiful state that was in Israel, the 10 tribes that had revolted, and those two tribes, Judah, which were remaining faithful to the Davidic kingship, okay? So I'm going to begin reading in the fifth chapter, and I'm going to read that entire chapter and go into the sixth chapter, and I'm going to read that uh, too, by the way. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along, and I'll be reading that with just a few comments, okay? And uh, so th this is the reading for the night, and along with the and, and the... and I'll look at one particular couple of verses in the in the sixth chapter verses 9 and 10 and about three places in the new testament uh, that's quoted and applied in in the new testament in the messianic age okay and so I've, i want to make application there but i want to lay the groundwork here chapter 5 the vineyard of the lord destroyed the prophet isaiah writing let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and he cleared it of the stones and he planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a, a wine vat in it. 
and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it shall be pruned or hoed. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. And then he proceeds on with just a of woes, and when I when I read through that, it also reminded me of our Lord after His triumphal entry into Israel, especially in the one of the latter chapters in and uh, where He in Matthew where He pronounced a series of woes against the the religious leaders of Israel. So here uh, Isaiah proceeds on uh, writing these woes: woe to those who join house to house and add field to field until there is no more room. And you have made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without habitation. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephod. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp and tavern and flute and wine at their feast, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. Therefore my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their, they honor men, their honored men go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. And the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down, her revelers and he who exults in her. Man is humbled and each one is brought low and the eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture, and no man shall eat among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, let him be quick, let him speed his work, that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil. I'm reminded of that as I read that in our country, how now they've made laws where once there was laws against some of the things, how we've turned around. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. 
Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness. Their blossom shall go like the dust. And they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts. They have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. And he stretched out his hand against them. And he struck them. And the mountains quaked. And their corpses were his refuge. And in the midst of the streets. And all of this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is stretched out still. He will raise a signal for the nations far away and whistle for them from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily, they come. None is weary, none stumbles, none slumbers or sleeps. Not a waistband is loosed, not a sandal strap broken. Their arrows are sharp, all their bows are bent. Their horses' hoofs seem like flint and their wheels like the whirlwind. Their roaring is like a lion, and like young lions they roar. They growl, and they seize their prey, and they carry it off, and none can rescue. They growl over it on the day, on that day. That's a phrase maybe sometimes we need to remember, on that day. Like the growling of the sea, if one looks to the land, behold darkness and distress and the light is darkened by its clouds. Wow, that might be a State of the Union message. That would be enough to send you home weeping, right? We get now into the sixth chapter. The ship chapter deals with the prophet Isaiah himself and a vision that he had. And what he saw was of such a sight and such a thing that it absolutely blew him away and wound up being the very means by which he was converted became a believing man. First chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, said Isaiah, the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Wow. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. See you high and lifted up. In the brightness of your glory, holy, holy, holy 
I want to see you. And I'll just tell you, if you ever catch a glimpse of the Holy God, you'll never be the same, right? Never. He appeared on the road in all of his glory before Saul of Tarsus, who was going around murdering Christians. And his, when he rose up off the ground, he was blind. But I believe in his blindness, he saw and understood more than he did when he had his eyes. Amen? After three days of fasting and praying, he'd never be the same. So he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In all of that glory, I cried to myself, woe is me. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, so hot an angel wouldn't even pick it up. And he touched my mouth. I, I can hear R.C. Sproul right now preaching a message in this. And he said that our lips are one of the most tender and feeding places of our body. Can you imagine a hot, glowing coal now being pressed against his lips? Wow. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah responded and said, Here am I, send me. And he said to Isaiah, Go and say to this people, and this is the message the Lord gave for him to deliver to these wayward people. This is the message that he went forth declaring, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. That's, that's the message, Lord? You want me to go out declaring that message? Yes, Isaiah. Isaiah responds, How, how long, Lord, am, am, am I going to be declaring that? That's it? That's it, Isaiah. How long, Lord? God responded by saying, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terabith or an oak, whose stump remains when it is filled. The holy seed is in its stump. In my study Bible, I want to read a note to you, just dealing with that last, about the stump that remains. 11 and 13 here. Uh, God's discipline will leave only, it's going to be so severe It'll only relieve a remnant of his people, the holy seed, like a single stump left after the forest has been burned over. The remaining believers are set apart for God by the same grace that saved Isaiah. 
They are the heirs of God's promises to Abraham and thus the only hope for the whole world lies in those heirs that are left, okay? Anyway, I've got a, a note here that tells me I need to go back up just a little bit to verses 9 and 10. There's a note there that I want to read to you, okay? Verses 9 and 10 is the, is the verses mainly that appear in the New Testament. Of course, a lot of Isaiah is in the New Testament, right? I mean, we would be here until the sun comes up if we went and tried to review all the passages and the prophecies of Isaiah. Isaiah is a long book. He did a lot of prophesying in the course of his lifetime. But this one particular portion, verses 9 and 10, is, appears in the New Testament. And the Lord uses it on two times. And over in the closing chapter of Acts, the Apostle Paul quotes Isaiah at verses 9 and 10. And we won't get to that tonight. It would, that would be a subject all its own, I guess. But tonight I want to just be just a little commentary here on chapters 9 and 10. God decrees that the prophet's ministry will have a hardening effect on his own generation. I've heard that said before, that the same sun that softens wax is the same sun that hardens clay. Amen? And so the writer, the commentary here says God's decrees, that is, what he gave Isaiah to share would be a, a, a message that would bring a hardening on those who are already in rebellion. God decrees that the prophet's ministry will have a hardening effect on his own generation whose character was laid bare in chapters 1 through 5. I just read chapter 5. That was a bunch, a bunch, but we wouldn't have had time to go back and read all of it. But it, all of it just gives us a revealing, pulls back the garment and lets us see the sinful heart that's beating in the breast of, of the Israelites and of those of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin that now in the divided kingdom whose character was laid bare in chapters 1 and 5. The New Testament quotes this text to explain why some reject the good news of the gospel. Matthew 13, 14, and 15 is one of those places. I, I think I'm on time here. Let's go to Matthew for a moment, okay? And, um, and let's read a little out of the 13th chapter. And as we get into that, we'll, we'll get over to verse uh, 14 and 15. And, and they include that message that God gave originally to Isaiah to go out and begin to speak to the people of Israel and Judah. So here we find our Lord now. We're in the Messianic age. God in the, in his, in the fullness of time sent his son into the world. Oh. Uh, I had an outline here somewhere. Oh, there it is. Oh, I should have pulled that out to begin with, I guess. I just was afraid we wouldn't get, get I wouldn't run out of time. Uh, and I probably will because that happens to me all the time. Listen, God has a plan. I, I don't know whether that's a comfort to you. I, I mean, I take great comfort in my wife because my wife is a planner, okay? 
I mean, she plans this and she plans that and for herself, and then sometimes she plans for me too, by the way. That's not a bad thing. But when I, when I see sometimes that she's a little bit confused, the earth just moves right under my feet because I like a plan, you know what I'm saying? And God has had a plan, and things, whether we agree with or disagree or like or dislike, are running according to his plans. Amen? Can I have an amen on that? Yeah. My, my, my grandmother on my mother's side, Miss Lily Lewis now, she was never privileged to sit under anything but Arminian preaching, okay, Bill? And, and, uh, and yet, I, I, I think my mother would simply say, you know, she, she doesn't, her theology is not very deep, son. But you know, I think Granny's theology went a lot deeper than my mom gave her credit for. Because this was my grandmother saying always, in every circumstances, she would just respond, stay calm and cool. Very often she, I don't, I don't ever remember seeing her get stretched out too much. It's running according to his plan and it's going to be okay. Hello? How much better would that be for us if we could find ourselves getting into that mode that it's running according to his plan? I'm not, I get kind of discouraged with President Trump myself, but you know the reason he's the President of the United States, it's a part of God's plan. Hello? Now the Democrats absolutely have turned wrong side outwards. They're going ballistic. And, and anyway, I, I, how all this is going to turn out, there's no way that we can know. Life is very complicated and we're living in a breaking down world, amen? Anything's subject to happen, right? Let's just face it, all hell could break loose just tomorrow morning, you know? Uh, mm, anyway. But my granny used to always say, whether it was, you say, that ought to be enough to upset your apple cart, granny, and she would just say, it's okay, it's running according to plan. She was talking about God's plan, and she, got, she drew great peace and comfort out of that, knowing that God had a plan and that in his grace and mercy, he had included her in that plan. How about that? Wow. I think she had some pretty deep theology myself anyway. So let me go on now because here we are in Matthew. And this is a, in this 13th chapter, our Lord is going to use that. He's going to quote from Isaiah, okay? And it's going to relate to what he discovered as he moved about Israel from synagogue to synagogue and occasionally to the temple and there preaching, teaching, healing, sometime on the edge of the wilderness, sometime by the Jordan. So this is one day in the Lord. That same day, Matthew says, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea. Matthew 13. Are you with me? Okay. And great crowds gathered about him so that he he had to get into a boat you know sort of push off a little bit they would crowd can get depressing on you he would have been up in his ankles and ended up to his waist in water i guess so he said boys put me in the boat push out a little bit and the great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and he sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach probably could hear a pin drop because when he spoke they said no one ever spoke like that before. 
You wouldn't want to miss a word he said. And as so he told them many things in parables. And so he goes on with this story. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good ground and produced grain, some a hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came to him private and they said to him, Why? Why do you speak to them in parables, Lord? I mean, why not just shoot right straight? Why tell these? And he answered them, To you, who is he talking to? To his disciples now. To you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. However you feel about that, you have the right to feel however you might. But just remember, there's no unrighteousness with God. He does as he pleases. He is God. And just stop for a moment. What do you know? What do we know that he did not give to us? Amen. Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says. Now what is the Lord doing? He's reaching hundreds of years back to the prophet Isaiah. And he's going to lift what he said there. And bring it right to where he is that day. And simply say, it applies here, what he said. This is the message my father gave him to minister to the rebellious house of Israel and of Judah. And this is the message my father has given to me. And so he reaches back and said, this is taking place because... This is a case where the prophet Isaiah is fulfilled right now, here. And he goes on to quote, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. 
for the people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But now he looks to his disciples, and he says to them, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, go down the list all the way. Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. What a privileged time that was 2,000 years ago when the Son of God became incarnate, born of a virgin. Now at 30 years old, he comes forth to the Jordan to be baptized and anointed with the Holy Spirit to begin the very reason that he came into the world, to fulfill what God had promised even at the very fall in the garden, that it would be the seed of the woman that would bring an end and a death to Satan and his cohorts. And now that time is taking place. And yet at the same time that that is taking place, there are many ears who are not hearing, and there are many who close their eyes. But he says to his disciples, how blessed you are. I wonder sometimes if you think really to yourself to thank the Lord that you have come to believe and trust in Christ as your Savior. Amen? I got eight minutes. Time is, time, the clock is ticking. Time is coming down to a close. Choir will be at seven o'clock. Anyway, I would. Um, one other place that Christ uses in the in the in the New Testament, it's over in the chapter twelve of the Gospel according to John. You might want to turn over there now. And um, in this chapter. Uh, well, I'm going to start reading here at about verse uh, uh, 36, I guess. While you have light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When, you, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. It had a fulfillment in Isaiah's day. It had a fulfillment earlier on in Christ's ministry. And here he is coming down to the close of his ministry, and he reaches back into Isaiah again. And he takes a verse out of 53.1. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
Verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. You remember on one occasion the disciples asked him, Lord, show us and suffice it for us. And what did Jesus say to them? Philip, have I been so long with you, son, that you don't know that you who have seen me have seen the Father? For I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That's exactly what Christ was saying here. I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Five minutes. Think for just a minute. I know this is going to sound weird, and the preacher probably will never call on me to speak again, but I'll take my, I'll take my licks and I'll take my chances, okay? Have you ever seen that program? It, it was, it's probably not as, 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 it's still going on, but to be a millionaire, have you ever seen that program about being a millionaire? You know, you start answering questions, and the, the more you go up the line, they get tougher, the questions get tougher, and there's a place where you can stop and go home with your money, what you got, you know? Or you can venture to go on, and then there's a place where, well, let's say that we're there tonight, and I'm, I'm, I'm there, and I've answered all the questions. I, I took a topic, and I chose religion because I'm not all that smart in it, but I know a little more about that than, than I do most things. And so I figured I might be doomed. But they asked me a lot of questions up the rope about different kinds of religion. And so here we get down to the million-dollar question, okay? You ready for that? So I'm standing there, you know, beginning to sweat a little bit because if I don't get this baby, I go home broke, you know. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot for the million. Martha's encouraging me. She's, she's saying, go for it, Roy, go for it. So I said, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going for it. Well, he said, this, is, uh, this, is a, this comes from the Christian religion. Oh, <laughs> well, put it on me, put it on me. I feel a lot more comfortable than that. The question is, he simply says, is this. The unrighteous, the unrighteous, those who they say have never believed on Christ. When will they be judged? Would you repeat the question? 
the unrighteous, when, when will they be judged? That was the question, Stalagur. The clock is running. Tick, doot, 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 doot. Well, I, I'm in a sweat. Some say this, and some say that, and some says another, and that's, I mean, I, I'm in a dilemma here. Help me out, babe. I mean, I can't call on the audience, not on this million-dollar question. The time the clock is ticking. It's ticking. What, what should I say? I mean, there are good men in every field. I, I, I know maybe I should say this, or may, maybe not. I mean, they could all be wrong. They could certainly not all be right. I, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Alligood, your time is up. Great, balls of fire, could have been a millionaire. Let me ask you something. Do you see what it says there? What, the, he, that's the answer, Mr. Alligood. That's the answer. That was it. Well, you know, I kind of thought it was. Well, you should have said it. Well, I, I, I ran out of time. One day we're going to run out of time, right? Because Christ is coming back one day. Not even the angels of heaven know. Yet men have been dumb enough to try to predict the day is coming. But he's coming back one day. Or it might be one night he's coming. It all depends on where, where you're living on the globe and where we are at that time. Amen? Some people are in the dark. In fact, some people are in the dark about all their life. <laughs> But I'm speaking not to people in the dark. I'm speaking to children of light, right? Have you not been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son by his grace and mercy? And he promised to us one day he was coming back. I remember, I, I, I probably should turn to it, but my time is, I've got about a minute and a half. I, I, I remember when Paul was at, in Athens. That was our, our Sunday school lesson, I think, for this past Sunday when he was in Athens and speaking, and when he got down dealing with the resurrection and the resurrection of Christ because he said, God has, has chosen to judge the world in righteousness by his son whom he's raised from the dead because there is, he's appointed a day, a day when that will occur. And they said, ah! They mocked when he started talking about the resurrection and he didn't get to tell anymore. And that was about the end of it. A few did get garnered in through his message. Just a small number did want to talk with him afterwards. He made his way on to Corinth. Anyway, I'll just leave it at that. But he is coming back. And the question is, how will he find us? Will we be hoeing and chopping and working faithfully in his vineyard? Will we be continuing on? Will he find us enduring to the very end? That's the question. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Wondrous and deep is your word. We can never spend too much time in it. The psalmist says, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Help us to be faithful stewards in studying your word, being faithful when our pastor is preaching. 
when Sunday school is in session, find ourselves in a class, sharing with one another what you've taught us, encouraging each other. There's so many things to discourage us. Be with us now, O oh Lord, and strengthen us. Fill us with your spirit. Be with our pastor and his dear family as they're vacationing, taking a break. Watch over them. Keep them safe and bring them safely back. Again, we thank you for all the countless ways you bless us. We ask these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.